where we're at this evening. James chapter 2. Um, we're in the second section of this chapter. We're going to be picking back up in verse 14 and going on through chapter, or on through verse 26. And I'm going to read the whole chapter when we get to the time to read, just kind of put some stuff in context. And this is one of these books that are a lot of application, so it's taken some time to move through it as we're taking small bites. But I want to read the whole chapter again, even though we're going to be focusing on a second chapter, because it's good to see the big picture too. And just to be reminded, this whole book is about spiritual maturity, and God wants us to grow in maturity. And this section of the chapter, uh, or of the maturity part of it in growing in spiritual maturity, really is... It's, it's an admonition to grow in faith. But in order to grow in faith, we have to see where we are at in regards to our faith. And even though the underlying message is dealing with a saving faith, we have to understand, like what Mike was talking about, and, 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 and Stephanie and Autumn, and, and the rest of us too, is, is even though we do have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, I know all of you, and I know that all of you are Christians, and, and so it's not, a, it's not a challenge in regards to you know, do you really believe, even though that's the basis for this. But a lot of times we can have faith that's misguided, and and we can exercise that faith in different avenues of our life. For example, when I moved out here to uh, help plant the church 20-some years ago now, um, I had been a Christian for just a short while, and I was in love with Jesus, and I was just like, whatever you want, Lord. You know, I'd gone through a lot of checking things out, and I just, I wasn't one of these people, not that everybody's like this, but I, I, was, I was pretty obstinate, and I didn't want to have a faith that I couldn't trust in because I had a lot of unanswered questions, and I wanted the answers to those questions. And so people were patient with me and taught me and, and encouraged, and I read the Word, and I studied and read some things, and, 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 and I put my faith in Christ. But when God put this, when he first began to speak to me about moving here, he really was challenging me in my faith, saying, do you have faith in me? Do you believe in me? Do you trust in me? And I'm like, yes. And he's all, no, you don't. And, 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 and really what got moving here was, as much as I was, God had made it aware to me in that moment, moving here was really giving God my whole life. And I thought I had done that when I said, Lord, I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to follow you. Thank you for being my Savior. Thank you. I'm going to let you be my Lord. But there were still areas of my life where God wasn't the Lord. It wasn't that I wasn't in sin, uh, but it was an area of lack of trust where my job and my finances and me being the provider, that was me. I was the provider. You know, being the, 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 the husband who was in charge of the home and all those things, even though I wanted to be a godly husband, I still didn't trust God with my marriage, per se, or with my kids and, and, and various other things and areas of my life. And then moving here, it really kind of just wiped the map clean because we moved here sight unseen pretty much and without a job and without a place to live and with people we really didn't know very well. And we had a, a, a two-year-old and a four-month-old, right? Something like that, yeah. basically. And no family and um, and it was like, that's what it was. It wasn't about for us moving here to help plant a church. We were coming along with people who were planting church. For us, it was, again, an issue of faith. God calling us to deepen our faith, strengthen our faith, where we had placed our faith in different ways, in an unbiblical way, in other things, or in another, in another rather than, than just in Christ. And... Um, there comes these times in your life where, you, where God will do that over and over with you again. At least he has with me these crossroads where he's all, do you trust me? Well, yeah, I've, my faith's in you. I've done this. I've moved to Colorado to help plant a church. And, and, but then God reveals to you that it's still, there's this level of faith that you've still not given to him in these other areas of your life. Maybe the same areas, but in a different way. And God just reveals to you over and over, or at least he has to me over and over and over again, where he calls me into that deeper faith relationship with him. But in order to do that, we have to have a really good understanding of what a biblical faith is and what a biblical faith isn't, and how we can be misguided in that. And James really lays that out in this chapter by going, man, there's, there's basically these kinds of faith and only one 
is a true faith, right? And so with that, last week when we began this chapter, I pointed out, and it connects together, so I have to, I have to review really quickly. I pointed out that, that our love and our good works, okay, follow this, our love and our good works are what bear evidence of our faith. Love and good works bear evidence of our faith. They're the vehicles by which faith is manifested, love and good works. That was really the first part of this chapter. And in the first 13 verses, James was drawing our attention to the love aspect of our faith. By first saying, if our faith is alive, if our, if our faith is well, if it's alive, if it's healthy, if we have good vitals in relationship to, to our love and our faith, then our love will be some of the characteristics of a, of a love that's, that's bearing evidence uh, or, or faith is bearing evidence through love is that love will be with partiality. It will be without partiality. A biblical love exercised in faith will be without partiality and without condition as we minister God's grace. And lots of, we have to be reminded of that because we can fall into that trap where we do love impartially. You know, we don't just love people across the board all the same because people can offend us. Either they've, they've offended us or the way they look or the way they smell or the things they say or, uh, you know, just lots of things. We as humans by nature judge. And, and in those judgings, in those assessments, we, 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 sum, we sum people up. But the other thing about it is, is, is not only is love born out or faith born out in love impartially, faith is born out in love unconditionally, Right? We, we, we love people unconditionally. That's what God's grace is. We love in grace. We're called to be ministers of grace. And James was talking about that. Furthermore, he said this. He said, our lives will be lived according to God's word with the royal law of love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the foundation for all that we do. And then as we came to the end of those first set of verses, he pointed out that mercy instead of judgment would then be the choice that we make when faced with the decision to show love to those who have harmed us, to those who have hurt us, to those who have offended us. And it's an active, conscious decision because we have to fight against the flesh that goes, I want to give that person what they deserve instead of giving them what they don't deserve. And faith in Christ is born out through love with those aspects, with those manifestations of that. So if our love, being a key aspect of our faith, bears evidence that our faith is alive, so do our works, or so does our works, bear evidence that our faith is alive. Love and works. And um, in the remaining verses of this chapter, the works aspect of our faith is what James is drawing our attention to. First it was love, and now it's work. And so with, with, and now it's the works part of it. And so in James chapter 2, it says this, My brethren, again, verse 1, Do not hold to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a man... In a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Answered the question is yes. Listen, therefore, he says in verse 5, my brethren, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom of God, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor men. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law of Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor, as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, have you not become a transgressor? Have, you have become a transgressor of the law. So, verse 12, speak, and so do as those who will be judged by the liberty or the law of liberty. In other words, let your words line up with your actions. So do, and so speak. 
or so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For, verse 13, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And now the new text that continues on with this aspect of works. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother and a sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus, verse 17, faith also by itself does not have works, is dead. But some will say to you, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith with your works or without your works. And I, James says, I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith with works, without works is dead? And then here's some Old Testament examples. Verse 21, was not, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, another Old Testament example, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them away, sent them out another way? For as the body, okay, here's an analogy, here's a comparison, for as the body without the spirit is dead, right, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In other words, when the physical body dies, the spirit leaves. So as the, for the, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so Faith without works is also dead. Father, please help us, God, to understand through your spirit, Lord, the truths that are being spoken here so that we, God, might examine our own lives, not, Lord, so we can examine everybody else's life around us and figure out where they're at in relationship to what they profess to know and be true about you, but, God, that we would let you examine our own hearts to see the different areas of our lives, Lord, where we're weak in true biblical faith. And God, that um, you would, we know, Lord, that you're always calling us into a deeper relationship with you. And that requires, Lord, that we would stop relying on ourselves, stop, stop trusting on our, our, our own resources, our own ways, our own intellect, um, our wisdom, God, which is foolishness compared to yours, the word says. And so, God, as you draw us deeper into this relationship to you tonight, God, we open up our hearts to you. We lay ourselves down before your feet and say, God, whatever you reveal to us, we will let go and hold on to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Once there was a man who had fallen off a cliff. And as he was falling, he managed to grab a hold of a tree limb. You know, this is the, the typical movie scene, right? That you, you, and he's hanging there, dangling from the tree limb. And while he was hanging from the tree limb, the man called out saying, is there anyone up there? And suddenly he heard a voice that said, I am here. I am the Lord. Do you believe me? Yes, Lord, the man replied, I believe you. I really believe, but I can't hang on much longer. That's all right, the voice rep responded. If you really believe, you have nothing to worry about. Have faith. I will save you. Just let go of the branch. After a moment of silence, the man replied, Is anyone else up there? <laughs> you guys, and, and I read that story because the truth is, is we've all felt like this man. Many times we felt like this man in times of uncertainty where we don't have all the answers and God has asked us to let go. To let go. To move to Colorado. To say yes to being the pastor. I mean, and those are just some of the big things. Many things in my life, and I know that you have those things too, where we have to let go and exercise our faith, our faith by trusting in God. And faith is an essential doctrine. Would you not agree when it comes to our Christian 
come being a Christian. It's an essential doctrine when it comes to being a Christian and an and essential doctrine when it comes to living the life that God has called us to live. We're, we're called to walk by faith, to live by faith. And, and, and when we consider all those things, when it comes to the doctrine of faith and you look across Christendom and the teachings on faith, I, I think it's easy to conclude that it's possibly one of the most incorrectly taught doctrines in the Bible even though when you study the Word of God, it's really, really clear um, what the Bible teaches us in regards to these issues or of the issues of faith. For example, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, faith is this. Faith is to be sure of the things we hope for and certain of the things that we cannot see. It's a confidence. It's a godly assurance. Also, the Bible is clear in teaching us that all of, mankind, all of mankind is saved through faith. And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 tells us this clearly by saying, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, it confirms this saying, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, Paul writes, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. So clearly, we are saved by faith and not by the workings or by the keeping of the law, but by but as the Bible also teaches this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it tells us that when we consider the works that James is writing about here, Paul writes in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, he says, Walk by faith and not by sight. Meaning we must allow for faith to be what to be the thing that moves us, our faith, to move us into action in spite of what we might see or in spite of what we can't see. Meaning if we believe in God and trust in Jesus, then the works of our faith will be evident in our lives. Additionally, the Bible is clear and teaches, teaches or clear when it, when it tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And then in Romans chapter 14, verse 23, it says, whatever we do apart from faith is sin. In short, I know there's a lot there, but in short, what we're being told here is that faith is not believing in spite of the evidence. But we all agree to that. Faith isn't just simply, I'm going to believe because I don't, I don't have any evidence. That's not what biblical faith is. Biblical faith is obeying and doing what God calls us to do in spite of the consequence or the perceived consequence. Now, as many of you know, Hebrews chapter 11 has been nicknamed by many scholars as the hall of faith because it contains this list of Old Testament saints, men and women alike, who according to their faith had acted upon God's word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by God's word, and when they heard God's word, they took action. They exercised their faith. And they did this, they acted upon God's word in every instance. When you read the Old Testament accounts there that are referenced in Hebrews chapter 11, they did this no matter what the price was that they had to pay. The point is, faith is not some kind of feeling that we work up. Faith is the confidence in God's word, or faith is confidence that God's word is true. Because if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, then what we're saying is, I'm going to act upon that, act upon God's word, because I believe it to be true. And there's a confidence in that. And, and, and a belief that also that acting upon God's word is what will bring forth the blessing in my life. Let go. God, you're going to let me fall and die. No, let go. I'm going to save you. Okay, you said it. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do it. It's a believing that God's going to bless. Not that he's going to, you know, I'm going to let go. God's going to let go. I'm going to die. That's what I believe. <laughs> That's not faith. 
But here in verses 14 through 26, as we've read through this, what we see is that James is now talking about this relationship between faith and works. Because there's a relationship there between our faith and our works. And in doing so, he's challenging us again, like I said earlier, to examine our own faith, our own lives, and and the works that we do. In other words, the way that we live. And he challenges this by asking a series of questions that are here in these verses. And in asking the questions, we don't really have to come up with the answers on our own because James also answers them and explains to us through the asking and the answering of these questions that there are three kinds of faith and only one kind of faith is truly a saving faith. And so we have to look at our own lives and go, what area of my life can this faith that I have be categorized in? Okay? One of these three things. And so looking back at verse 14, he says this, with this first question. And he starts off by asking this because it's, a, it's, it's an, a question for us to ask of ourselves to examine. Now, the thing, guys, that you need to keep in mind when we're going through this, and, and this is more of a, an encouragement, maybe possibly a, a, a warning, is, is often we get messed up with passages of Scripture like this because we want to look through the lens of Scripture into other people's lives. And the problem about this is when it comes to an issue of faith and works, it's a hard issue, right? It really is a hard issue because out of the abundance of the heart flows these kinds of things. What we do, what we say, how we live, it's a hard issue. And, and the truth is, is we all are at times faithless, right? And especially in certain areas of our lives where we go, God, I'm hanging on. And so we can't take this message, these instructions, and look at other people's lives because we can't see into their heart. Only God knows. And so these kinds of messages, when we begin to talk about these things, if you want to know, if you want to get the depth and the truth behind what's going on, not only do you keep it in context, but you go, this applies to me. How does this apply to me? Because God's going to reveal my heart to me. He's not going to reveal Sharon's heart to me in these things. He's not even going to reveal it to Steve, who's her husband. This is between Sharon and God, Steve and God, Mike and God, me and God. And and so it is. And the problem with it is, is, is when the church gets legalistic and ungracious, it's because they take passages of these and they go out into the world and look at other believers' lives and they want to they wanna assess them. But But God tells us it's none of our business. It really isn't. It's between that person and God. Now, we can come alongside one another, encourage one another, strengthen a brother when he's weak. When we see someone in sin, we can take these passages of God's word and, and hold them accountable to it. But still, the, 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 the assessment part of it and the working out part of it is between God and them. And so if you really want to get the fullness of it, if you're thinking that you're going to think about somebody else and, and go, I wonder if that person's saved or I wonder if that's real faith in their life or maybe they're stepping out on their own. And so you got to can't do that. You're going to miss it. You're going to take these things out of context, and you're not going to get what the Holy Spirit has to reveal to you tonight. It's just an admonition. And so in verse 14, it says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And so you've got to ask that question the first person if we're going to get the fullness of it. What does it profit, my brethren, if I say, Jameson, what does it profit to you, Sean, if you say that you have faith but you do not have works? Can your faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and if one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit, Sean? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And that's the, that's the answer to the question that he, that he, that he asked, but we're going to get to that in a minute. So really, we see this, it's pretty clear. It's our works that bear evidence as to whether or not our faith in Jesus Christ is alive, as to whether or not our faith is a saving faith. And in pointing this out, James says the first type of faith that a person can have that is evident by their lack of works is described as a did faith. And you know what, guys? The truth is, is if we honestly look at our life, there's areas of our life where there's just dead faith, where there's no life. It's just dead. And he says this, he, 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 he points this out saying that faith by itself is dead if it does not have works. Here's an example. Just so you know, I have, I have no idea 
who here tithes. I don't. That's handled by the elders. I don't care. I don't know. I don't want to know. But if we trust God in our finances and we say, I have faith that you're going to provide for me, God says an evidence of that is that you're going to be tithing. You're going to be giving. You're not going to be spending everything that he's given to you on yourself. It's an issue of faith. And so if you say you have faith in Jesus Christ and you don't trust him in your financial area because you're not tithing and you're not giving when a need is known or revealed to you, what James is saying is that part of your faith is dead. Don't say that you have faith in Christ in this area if you're not doing what God's word says in that. You see what I'm saying? It's not just an issue of salvation, but it's, it, it can be, but it's beyond that. And so that's just an example, and James is going to give another example, and, and sadly, since the, the, the conception of the church there is we're looking in the issue of salvation or in any area of our lives where faith is being exercised, people, many, many people have claimed to have a saving faith or a, a faith where they trust in God, but they did not possess that faith even though they spoke it out, right? And it's true in our own lives, but it's also true, sadly, in regards to salvation, there are people who fill the churches, and God will know, because he, he says, man, the, the, he, narrow is, is the way, and broad is the path. And even the church is filled with people, the wheat and the tares, there's all kinds of things, where people who, who are going to say, I believe in Christ, that they just, they don't. It's a dead faith. It's not a saving faith. And the simple fact of the matter is, is whenever there is the real thing, there's also going to be a counterfeit. Whenever there's a real thing, there's always going to be a counterfeit. And speaking about this in regards to the issue of salvation, Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but it's he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Again, Jesus said there's faith and there's works. That's what he's speaking about in that passage. Some people are going to profess with their mouth, Lord, Lord, but they don't live their life as if Christ is their Lord. There's no faith. And in light of this, we need to understand that a person with a dead faith will exchange their words for deeds. And so is there an area of your life where you're only speaking things and there's no deeds backing it up? A person with a dead faith will exchange their words for their deeds. In that, they know the correct words to say. I might even be able to quote the right verses of Scripture from the Bible, but their talk is not reflected in their walk. And in doing so, a person has a dead faith, thinks that their words are as good as their works, but they're wrong. And James gives a simple illustration of this in verses 15 and 16. If you look there, saying, when a believer comes into a fellowship without the proper clothing and, and, and is in need of food... As he, as he uses this, and he, as he uses this example, the point is, as a person with a dead faith, he'll notice that person, the visitor or another brother or sister or whatever the case may be, they'll notice that person who is in need, and they may say a few religious words, making some kind of counterfeit appearance of a genuine faith, but they will never send that person away um, having met their needs. They don't take care of the needs. They'll send, matter of fact, they'll send that person away just as hungry and as poorly clothed as when they came in. And James uses the specific example of food and clothing because food and clothing are just a basic need that all humans have. Especially those, um, um, well, it's, 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 what I mean is, is it's, a, it's, a, it's a basic need that all human ha humans have, whether they're a believing Christian or an unbelieving person who's lost in their sins, right? Someone who's saved or someone who's unsaved. They, we all still need food and clothing. And as believers who hold to the faith of Jesus Christ, we have an obligation biblically to meet the needs of people no matter who they may be. And in Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 is one of the places where we're admonished to do this where it says, therefore as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. So to help a person who is in need is what James is Showing us through the example here is a pure expression of love, right? To help someone who is in need with just their basic needs is a pure expression of love. And from what we read in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, where it says this, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but it's faith working through Love. We used that verse last week when we were studying through the first part of that, this chapter. But in light of this verse, we understand that faith works 
or more specifically, faith is empowered through and even motivated by love. And remember, it was the, the, the apostle of love, Apostle John, who emphasized this aspect of good works being motivated or empowered by love through faith. And he said in First John, John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, he said this. He says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with word or tongue, but with actions and truth. Faith and works. Working together. Now, the question James poses here in verse 14 should literally read, or it could literally lead this in the question, can that kind of faith save him? This kind of faith that we've been talking about, meaning the kind of faith that is never seen or is, or is, is ever evident by the practical works. And of course, the answer to that question is, is no. Because any declaration of faith that we might profess that does not result in a changed life, which is evident by good works, that's a, just a false declaration. It's just words that are being spoken. And, 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 and literally, it's a counterfeit faith, and that kind of faith, a counterfeit faith, is a, is a did faith. And, and worse in the sense, because it's a faith that, it's, there's a deception that goes along with that, right? And this is why James concluded in verse 17 and said that faith by itself, if it does not work, is dead. And the fact of the matter, a true saving faith can never be by itself because true faith always bears forth a life. True faith brings forth life. And life produces life. That's a reoccurring law of nature, physically and spiritually. Life produces life. Or spiritually speaking, as we look at the Word of God... Saving faith and life that's born from that will bring forth good works. It was John Calvin who wrote this and said, It is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. I like that. In other words, the person with a did faith, they only have what we may often refer to as an intellectual experience. It's here right? Meaning that in their mind, they won't know the doctrines of salvation, but they've never submitted their life to God, nor have they trusted into Jesus for their salvation. And simply put, a faith in Jesus, there's a, there, there comes a regeneration, right? And Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. He's speaking about being born again. There's a regeneration that comes with putting our faith in Jesus. And a faith in Jesus brings forth this new life. It brings forth this spiritual life. And where there is life, there will be growth. And where there is growth, there is fruit. The works, the evidence. And the fact of the matter is, is no one can come to Jesus by faith and remain unchanged any more than any one of us can come in contact with some high-voltage wire and remain the same. So, in verse 18, we read on and look at the second part of this. And it says, but someone will say... You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. That is key, what he says there, and very specific. And if you were a Jew, you would catch it. But he goes on and he says, You do well, even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Now, the second kind of faith that James points us to here can, can be described as, you have a did faith, and this kind of faith here can be described as a demonic faith. And um, as James uses demons as his example as a means of, uh, to illustrate his point. And, and it might come to a shock for, for someone here, for some of you to hear, if you've not heard that before, that demons have a faith. But they do. The Bible makes it clear. Demons have faith. A faith. Now, it's not a saving faith, obviously. And it's not even a dead faith. It, they have a greater faith than someone who just professes it. They, they have a, a, a deeper faith than that. And, and biblically, we can determine this as the Bible explains to us what exactly demons believe. First of all, we know that demons believe in the existence of God. They're not an atheist, nor are they agnostic. 
Secondly, from what, we, from what the Bible tells us, we can determine that the demons also believe in the deity of Jesus. They believe that Jesus, who came in the flesh, is God in the flesh. And we know this because when, the, when Jesus was on the earth and whenever he had an encounter with a person who was demon-possessed, the demon or demons, plural, that were in these people would always bear witness to the fact that Jesus was the Son of God. So not only they believe in God, they believe that God was incarnate in Jesus Christ, that Jesus was in fact the Son of God. And, and this is accounted in Mark chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, where it says this, And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But Jesus sternly warned them that they should not make him known. And, and here's the reason why for that, and this is a little side note. Because God doesn't want uh, Satan or, or, or any demons testifying of him and, and anybody believing what some kind of evil messenger would speak because then they could be easily betrayed. It's, it's the vessels of light, the children of light that are called to bear witness to the, to the person and the, the, the nature of God and, and who he is. And so that's why Jesus would always say, even though it was the truth, he'd say, shut up. This is not your business. You're speaking the truth, but shut up. And, and this is an important thing to take note of in regards to what the demons believed in relationship of believing there is a God and believing that Jesus is God. But it's equally important is the fact that demons also believe in the existence of an eternal place of judgment. So they believe there's a God, they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and they believe that there's an eternal place of judgment. And in Luke chapter 8, verses 31 through 31, it says this, and this is where Jesus had an encounter with a demon-possessed man, and, and he asked him, saying, what is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And every time I read that, it's the hair sticks up on the back of my my head, it, it weirds me out. And it goes, and they begged him that he would not command them to go out and into the abyss. Furthermore, we know from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, that before Jesus cast these demons, these legions of demons out of this man, which Jesus would do, rather than sending them into the abyss that Jesus sent them into a herd of pigs, right, a herd of swines, is that before they did that, before Jesus did that, these demons recognized Jesus as the judge, as God, God in the flesh, the, an eternal place of judgment, and that Jesus, the Son of God, would be the one to judge. They, they also recognized that as well. And so as James uses the type of faith that demons have in order to illustrate the second kind of faith, he says to his Jewish leader in verse 19, now this is where it gets to a point of application for us, he says, you believe that there is one God and you do well. In other words, good job, but that's not enough. Even the demons believe that. And by this, James was specifically referring to a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And, and the thing about it is, is when he was using this to illustrate this, his Jewish readers would have keyed in to what he meant by that. You do well to believe that there is one God. And, and it says this, because of Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this is important to note because for a devout Jew... Even still today, this was a daily affirmation for them of their faith that, that they religiously and ritualistically made. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And, and, and James says to this person who has this type of faith that your faith is no different than the demons, for even the demons believe and they tremble. So the person with a did faith is touched here, okay, in the mind, in the intellect. And he believes in God, but we've said this, you've heard this said before, he misses heaven by 12 inches, the distance from his head to his, his heart. However, we see here that the demons, they're touched in their heart, if you will, in their inner person, in their emotions, as well as their intellect, as we're told that they believe and they, they tremble. 
And James's point is that a person that we, that we can understand a biblical truth or something that God's calling us in our mind and even let affect us in an emotional way in our heart and be stirred there, but we can still miss out on the fullness of what God has for us. And for in, in, in regards to an issue of salvation, people will miss out on eternity. But that's not the extent of it, remember. Because a true saving faith directs not just our mind and our heart. A true saving faith directs our mind, our heart, and our will. Right? That's where the doing part of it comes in. It's an act of the will, and it involves a changed life. And this can be seen and recognized, a changed life that can be seen and recognized. When we say that we have a faith in this or we trust God in that, it's going to be recognized because not only we understand it here and we're moved in the heart to receive it, but then we, our will is motivated and affected by that faith because then we go and live by it. We do it. And this is why James challenged this type of demonic faith by saying in verse 18, he says, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And the point is, is it's impossible to show our faith without our works because when we put our trust in Jesus as our Savior, we surrender our will to him, right? Not my will be done, but your will be done. It was the prayer that Jesus even taught us in how to pray. Your will be done. And we send our will to him, but specifically in regards to this idea of lordship, right? We surrender to him as our Lord, not just our Savior, but our Lord and our Savior. And in doing so, we're making a choice or a decision to walk in the works that God, which the Bible says that God has appointed for us and the good works that he's appointed for us, and the life that he's set before us, and the plan and purposes that he's ordained for our lives. And this is why Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 goes on after saying in verses 8 and 9 that salvation is great by grace through faith. He goes on and says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. And the only way you're going to walk in them is through faith, a faith that affects you in your, in your intellect, in your heart, and in your will. And the bottom line is, is being a Christian, literally being a follower of and a believer in Jesus, it involves these three things, trusting in, relying upon, and clinging to. And in all of that, in that relying upon, clinging to, and, and, and trusting in, ultimately what we're doing is we're living for Jesus. And in doing so, we receive that new birth, a new life, and then, and then we reveal that new life we have received by the way that we live. I know it seems maybe a little bit circular, but it's that simple. And so far, James has identified two kinds of faith that can, can, can not save a person and is, is not going to, it can be a misplaced or a misguided faith in our own lives. A dead faith, which is the one in the mind and alone, a demonic faith, which involves the intellect and the emotions. And now he closes by describing only that kind of faith that can save us, that can change us, that can move us. And I got to sneeze. <coughs> Excuse me. In verse 20, it says this, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? And I think we all know that account. We've just studied through that in the, in the, in the book of Genesis. And we know that through that account that, that Abraham believed one of two things. He believed, um, you go to the, the Hebrews chapter 11, he had faith that God would, would rise Isaac from the grave. That's what he believed. And we know that God provided a sacrifice instead because the only person who was going to rise from the grave was later his son, Jesus Christ, on that same mountain, Mount Moriah. It was a really cool connection there. But Abraham faith. He did not know, and he was willing to go through it to trust God, but he believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead because he knew that Isaac was the heir, the son of promise, right? And so that was one example where, where, where we're given. And it says, do you see through this that faith was working together with his works? <clears throat> and by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, 
and he was called the friend of God. And you see then in verse 24 that a man is not justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by, by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? And, of course, that's returning, referring to Joshua and the battle of Jericho when Joshua was sent the spies in Jericho, and they met Rahab the harlot who lived on the wall, and they said, hey, listen, um, we're, we're going to do this thing, and, and God's going to bring down the walls, and you just stick this uh, scarlet uh, cord out your window, and you're going to be all right. It was an act of faith. You know, she could have fled the city. She could have turned the, 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 the spies in. There's lots of different things that she could have done. But ultimately, she trusted in the word that she heard, which was from God. She acted upon it. Now, think about that. Where was she at again? On the wall that was going to come tumbling down. And yet God said, don't worry, you're going to be okay. Just do this. And, and it was an action. It was a work. She set him free. And it says that, that when she received the messengers and sent them out another way, was that not also her being justified by the works? And for it says in verse 26, to summarize it all, to kind of give us this illustrative comparison to what he's speaking about, he says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. And this last type of faith that James describes is a faith that embodies the whole of who we are, our intellect, our heart, and our will our emotions, our will. And this type of faith, it can be described as a dynamic faith, a living faith, something that's alive, meaning it's an active faith, something that's dynamic is moving. It's got motion to it. There's an energy with it. It's a faith that is real. It's a faith that has power, and it's a faith that is a result of a changed life. And again, a dynamic faith is based solely upon the hearing of God's word. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, again, says this. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And in these verses that we just read, it describes this kind of faith because both of these people first heard the word of God, received it, and then they acted upon it. And, 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 and so James describes this kind of faith by saying that it justifies, it saves. And, and he used Abraham and, and, and Rahab as examples because both of these people's faith were clearly proven and demonstrated by the works that they did, not just by the words that they spoke. And the bottom line is, is a true saving faith leads us into action. And by this, we see that a dynamic faith is not just an intellectual consideration or an, or an emotional concern. And that's what sets it apart. It's not just an intellectual consideration, and it's not just an emotional concern. Dynamic faith, dynamic faith leads us to obedience, to the place of surrender, where we go, I will let go. I will trust you. I will do what you say. I will live my life this way. I will honor you and do what you say in regards to my marriage, in my finances, in my relationships, in, in whatever I will, I will, I will. And it's, it's, it's an act of the will upon the truth, the truth of God's word. And the men and women of faith named in Hebrews chapter 11, that hall of faith, were all people of action. That's what they were. They're people of action, meaning God spoke and they obeyed. Now, we know that there was some struggle through the process, right? And that's the cool thing about it. Because Abraham specifically, that dude stumbled in faith all the time. He gave birth, he spawned an Ishmael, right? And there's Ishmaels in our lives when we've been faithless in certain areas. And, but ultimately, Abraham made it there because his life was characterized by walking in faith, by living in faith. Not perfectly, guys, but it was this progression. And we studied his life, and it was like God took him from one level to the next. And as God built this faith up in him, he kept taking action. And he kept taking action, even though he stumbled and even though he fell and had moments of, of, of even backsliding in, in regards to some things. And now we're reading about Jacob, and we see the same kind of a thing. And again, it's not about perfection. It is about the direction that we're going. And, and, and they, nevertheless, they obeyed. And again, so we see through that that faith is not believing in spite of the evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of the consequence. And a faith without, without works is dead, is a dead faith. And as Christians, we're called to have a faith that works. A faith that works. A faith that is evidenced by our works. Not, not a, not a works-based faith. 
that's getting it backwards, okay? And there's a lot of false religions out there that see it that way, that you've got to have this works-based faith. That's, that's not it. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a faith that works, an active faith, a living faith that demonstrates, here's what it really boils down to. It's a faith that demonstrates our love. Remember the first part of this chapter. It's a faith that demonstrates our love, the love we have received and the love that God has filled our hearts with through the deeds and good works that God has prepared us to do. As I close, I want to give you one more story. It's a letter. It's a letter that was found in an old baking powder can. You know those old tin cans that had the baking powder in them? And this can was wired to the handle of an old pump, like the, the, the old pump that you would work with a lever and, and a handle. And, and, and um, the letter that was in this baking powder can offered the only hope of, of, of being able to drink water on a very long and seldom used trail across Nevada's Armagosa Desert. I believe this is a true story. But anyway, the letter says this, said this. I want to read it with my hillbilly voice, but I'm not going to. It says, this pump is all right as of June 1932. I put a new sucker washer into it, and it ought to last five years. But the washer dries out, and the pump has got to be primed. Under the white rock, I buried a bottle of water. Out of the sun with the cork end up. There's enough water in it to prime the pump. But not if you drink some first. Pour about one-fourth of the water and let her soak to wet the leather washer. Then pour the rest medium fast. And pump like crazy, you'll get water. The wells never run dry. Have faith. Then when you get the water filled up, or when you get water, fill up the bottle and put it back like you found it before for the next feller. Sign, Desert Pete. P.S. Don't go drinking the water first. Prime the pump with it, and you'll get all that you can hold. Father, we pray, God, that you would help us to trust in you, to do what you say. Lord, to not look at our circumstances, our situations, the, the potential possibilities, that the what-ifs, God, that flow into our hearts and minds in so many different ways when we're challenged to take these steps of faith. And I pray, God, that we would not have just a faith that professes what we know to be true or even be moved in the heart and stirred in the heart and only go there, God. And if we're in either one of those places, I pray, God, that you would bring us deeper through this study of your word and this trusting of who you are and what you've already done for us and that you would increase our faith, God, so that we would take action. Lord, give us that kind of faith. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.